Hello and welcome to the Digital Insight, the technology, procurement and supply chain podcast that delivers valuable C-level perspective into the core issues surrounding business transformation and digital disruption. Each episode will bring you the most inspiring executive insights from those who are leading transformation strategies within the world's biggest and best-known companies. The Digital Insight. Disrupt. Transform. Avon. Welcome to the Digital Insight, the official podcast series for CPO Strategy and Interface magazines. My name is Nell, and today I'm talking to James Shanahan, CEO of Revolut Singapore. Revolut is a banking services business which is swiftly expanding across the world. James and I will be discussing why traditional banking is so inflexible, how modern and innovative services fill the gaps left behind, and why Revolut is swiftly becoming an everyday necessity for its users. Right, okay. Well, welcome, James. Thank you for joining me today on the Digital Insight. Um, To begin with, it would be great to get a little bit of background on your career and your history with Revolut. Well, fantastic. Uh, Thanks for having me, Nell. It's great to be here. Uh, Look, my background is banking and insurance for many years. uh, And I think as part of that, one of my observations uh, ever since, frankly, the, the emergence of internet banking has been that the operating models of banks uh, are very much outdated and customer experience is lagging what customers expect and experience in other industries. And I think one of the opportunities that, that uh, Revolut brings to the table or has built, in fact, uh, and we continue to expand on is a new perspective on customer experience and a new perspective on the underlying operating model of banks. And so what we've built and what we continue to expand on is a global operating model. It's a contemporary approach. We have a single underlying infrastructure and one that makes the business highly scalable and I think an order of magnitude less costly uh, and more efficient than your run-of-the-mill bank. This is important because when you take a zero off the cost of pretty much anything, you can change the world. And we've seen that in many industries in the past and and even parts of industries. And as we move down that path with with Revolut, we can see that uh, as we bring ourselves into more and more markets, the difference that makes to our customers and the difference that makes to our ability to scale the business very rapidly. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, I I read an article that you wrote uh, on LinkedIn about how fintech isn't disrupting banking, which you describe traditional banks as being very rigid and inflexible. Um, And I wondered, first of all, why that still is the case and how services like Revolut step in to fill fill the gap that they're leaving. Mm. Well, look, the the fundamental business model of banking is is the balance sheet, leveraging the balance sheet, taking in deposits, lending uh, those deposits out and uh, essentially making a margin on that business. That business is not being disintermediated. The balance sheet business of a bank Uh, is intact and sound and will continue on uh, for hundreds of years into the future is my expectation. However, the surrounding uh, systems, the surrounding protective systems, whether they're credit systems, whether they're profit and loss uh, generating platforms, uh, new product platforms, actually, you want to cut the P&L platform, I meant to say GL. (laughs) The GL, the GL platforms, the credit scoring, the risk engines, all of these are designed to protect those balance sheets. And then, of course, we get to the distribution where the 
the high cost of branches, the high cost of ATM networks, the high cost of, of this, if you like, millstone around the neck of banks no longer performs the way it, it has done in the past. I mean, with the advent of technology, we can disintermediate at that level. So, you know, looking at it from a, from a more holistic perspective, the business model of a bank is intact, but the way it is carried out is dramatically or, or vastly inefficient to what's possible using uh, the kind of technology we have available today. And so when you reimagine that from the perspective of an organization like Revolut, you can conceive of a global bank that operates on a single common platform. You can conceive of a global bank that shares the same operating model universally. And when you start to do that, you start to be able to scale the business far more rapidly than any bank. Uh, most banks, if you look in, in uh, their scaled markets, are going to be individual stacks. You know, the stack that we have in one country is different from the stack that we have in another country. And that leads obviously to very high costs and the inability to move rapidly and to act in a very agile manner. So by reconceiving the infrastructure of a bank, if you like, the way that a bank delivers its services, you can... You can take us. You, you can take an order of magnitude off the cost, number one, and you can bring a level of experience to the customer that's not hamstrung by old tech, by old thinking, by by siloed approaches, and, and even a, a silo at a country level, if I want to, if you want to put it that way, because frankly, the the uh, that school of thinking, that style of thinking, is really what's held banks back, and I frankly think what holds banks back today. There are some banks starting to move out of that mindset. Uh, but it's like turning the ocean liner, uh, and we're coming along in perhaps not a speedboat anymore, but you know, in a uh, in a fast-moving, uh, rapidly expanding boat that uh, can move quickly, can turn quickly, and can speed past. I think some of the some of the incumbents in the market. Yeah. So it, I mean, if if traditional banks are stable enough, but just very much behind the times and slow to move and not very agile, do you think there is? Do you think there's still a place for them in the future, basically? Well, it's hard to predict. Uh, look, in any market, uh, we we always overestimate what can be achieved in one year, but we dramatically underestimate what can be achieved in 10 years. So Revolut is five years into its existence. I mean, ask me that question in five years or 15 years, and I hope to show you that uh, Revolut is a, is, a, is a global bank with tens, if not hundreds of millions of customers on board, and that we're able to operate operate at margins which um, put banks in their current form to shame. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, the one issue with digital banking, I suppose, and this is something that I've read a lot about recently, but I, I read some recent statistics which show that security has been a real issue in the digital banking world since lockdown began, especially, and there are you know, various reasons for that. But what makes services like Revolut so much better than a traditional bank when it comes to security issues? Well, look, security is a war <laughs> and a war that will continue, continuously wage. Uh, I think there'll be no end to that. Uh, the good guys versus the bad guys will go on forever. Um, what I see is this is increasingly, what we all see is increasingly a tech battle as we move to technology as a way to distrib distribute financial services. And I think a tech, uh, a company that has a stronger tech underpinning and uh, is digitally native, if you like, in its understanding of that technology, will always fight a better battle than those who, who have to learn the tools of war and have to uh, bring, their, bring their approaches to a new battlefield, if you like. 
I think there's a second part of it as well. So not only the ability to leverage technology more completely and, and with more modern and uh, up-to-date tools, if you like, it's also the the usability factor here. So a lot of security issues are not driven by weaknesses in the underlying security, but rather uh, weaknesses in customers' behavior or, or lack of understanding on the part of protagonists in the in the transaction as to what might represent a, a, a less secure way of doing things. And I think by having a lot of agility and flexibility on the front end with this customer experience, we can make it easier for customers to stay secure. We can educate them uh, through the way that the application is laid out, through the way the customer journey moves. And we can avoid uh, situations by running, if you like, a rule set or machine learning or some artificial intelligence tools around the transactions in addition to the usual transaction monitoring tools and, and protection tools to guide customers and to help them in a way that uh, many, I think, less contemporary organizations don't have the flexibility to do and, and also don't think about in an holistic sense. So what that allows us to do, I think, is build in a level of um, customer awareness of security right from the beginning. And to adjust that on the fly, we can adjust our front ends very, very quickly and, uh, and lead customers to a better position. I think this stands out uh, in, our, in our experience as well. Um, we find our fraud rates, for example, to be significantly lower than industry standards right across the board. And uh, I think this does reflect the fact that we have a, a more agile and more techni technologically sound understanding of what's going on, and we can apply it more, 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 more completely. And I think uh, when you look at that, there's also something to be said for the ability to manage customers' expectations in this regard. So it's quite clear coming onto a onto a, a, a digital-only platform from a financial services perspective that customers need to be educated, need to be made secure, need to be reminded, if you like, or nudged in the right directions. Uh, and, you know, that's that's easy to achieve with a digital front end, much more so than, for example, in a branch or an ATM machine or, or other offline kinds of environments. So I think the opportunity to be vastly more secure is built into the operating nature of what we're doing here with Revolut and other technology platforms. And I, I imagine that there's also some correlation between the, the types of people that use services like Revolut and the the potentially the knowledge that they already have of because there's probably a generational shift there where I'm, I imagine that the people that use Revolut are already fairly tech savvy and therefore maybe understand um, the security issues and maybe don't make some of the mistakes that you mentioned earlier. You could argue that absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of our customers are driven by convenience, um, less so than an age uh, demographic, um, and I think. Convenience also raises a question in people's mind. Uh, whilst this is easier to to achieve, am I being safe? You know, is my is my bank a being responsible and b do I inherently understand the change in risk profile that I'm taking on with uh, with moving to this platform? So, so I want to talk about a bit a bit more specifically about Revolut. So. This year has been obviously very difficult for a lot for, for many companies, but Revolut seems to be thriving. You're in your, you know, you sort of five years old, um, everything's going very well. Have you faced any specific challenges during this time or have things continued to go well for you? 
So obviously there'd be some changes in customer behaviors. Um, I mean, despite uh, all the best intentions, travel has evaporated around the world as we come to see. So spending has been affected, but I would say that the it's more muted than than we expected. We saw a change in our customers' behavior uh, and a dip in spending, but we've also seen a rapid recovery from that, in particular as people moved online. So an acceleration in the in the tendency of people to move online occurred. Perhaps we saw three to five years worth of worth of growth in several months uh, in some markets. And then secondly, I think it creates a a almost like a pendulum effect when people are unable to spend, particularly on the, in their disposable income, uh, a demand builds up. And as we saw in various markets now, as uh, lockdowns were eased uh, or removed, we've seen spending bounce back. Uh, and again, with the pendulum effect, in some cases higher than it was before we, we went into the COVID period. Uh, I don't expect that will continue, but I do see, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the built up, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, the lag in spending or a pent up demand for shopping, a pent up demand for travel when that returns. And, you know, that'll bounce back. We saw in Singapore, for example, when McDonald's was closed for, for some weeks, as one anecdotal example, uh, McDonald's became the single largest online um, payments recipient by 67% within a week or two of them reopening the stores. There, there was an enormous pent-up demand, and you could see queues at McDonald's stores and queues in the, in the delivery and so on. And I think this, this, this applies across the board. Other parts of the business that have behaved in a more interesting way, uh, for example, sports apparel. Um, Maybe more people were going outside because they weren't getting the exercise during the day, but we saw several hundred percent growth in sales at sports stores, whether it was um, shoes or whether it was apparel. Uh, we also saw uh, our crypto business uh, booming. We did not see a particular reduction in our, in our FX business, in our cross-border transfers. I think there were two factors of that. Not everybody returned to their home country. And therefore, people continued to to transact uh, amongst their family and amongst friends and so on. And we did not see a, well, I think the, the other side of it is people, uh, the fact that we have low exchange rate led people to uh, speculate on currencies more so than they normally would. We saw a high degree of volatility amongst currencies. That has settled down now, which is good to see. Uh, but it did drive a considerable amount of business, I think, for many companies, including uh, Revolut. So in some cases, we saw uh, business fall away temporarily. In other cases, we saw business grow. Some of that has stayed and some of that has fallen back as well. So all in all, uh, where are we now in, in August? We are pretty much back to where we were pre-COVID days. And I think that's reflective of most digital businesses around the world, other than those countries which are still uh, moving into the the widest part of the, the pandemic in their areas. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, it sounds like it's kind of it's, it leveled itself out quite nicely, which is great. But I, And I know that you recently launched uh, the, the retail side of the business, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how that's, how that's gone so far um, and the, the, the benefits of the retail side. So Singapore, we, we launched the retail business first. Um, we, we've then been bolstering that. So recently we launched our rewards program uh, here in Singapore. 
uh, really focused on e-commerce shopping. So in the early days of Revolut, we were seen as a travel product, uh, and that was our our first um, use case. We've now moved to the point, uh, or we've left that far behind, frankly. We are now uh, you know, an everyday card for many, many of our customers here in Singapore and around the world. So what we've done and what we're focusing on as we go forward here with the retail products is to bring value to those customers on an everyday basis. So we continue to offer fantastic exchange rates. Uh, at the same time, we're adding rewards, we're adding donations, we're adding gifting. We're adding a range of new retail type services to help our customers benefit from the, the value that we bring to the table every day, rather than in the far past when they used to benefit from that uh, when they traveled. As a result of that, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of partnership opportunities, uh, in, not only in Singapore, but around the region. So top brands that can bring us rewards uh, in categories like health, in apparel and sportswear, as I said, electronics and so on. Uh, the great news about this for our customers, of course, is there's no additional subscription for that. Rewards is built into our, our products from day one and all of our customers benefit from that. Uh, and then, of course, you can imagine us extending that in the future to personalized offerings through the behavioral intelligence platform we have. And, uh, and I can tell you now that whilst we've only had that in the market for a couple of weeks, the take up has been spectacular. Uh, we've seen a uh, tremendous volume of transactions. We've seen an increase in signups. We've seen an increase in, in daily use of our cards resulting from that rewards program. So customers clearly see value in it, and we intend to continue to, to lean in and bring as much value to the program as we can. Fantastic. Well, you, you have a donation feature as well, right, as well, uh, that's, that's quite recent that allows people to kind of give their quote-unquote spare money to, to charity, <laughs> if that's even a thing. But um, I want, wonder about the thinking behind that because it seems like alongside the rewards, you've got the perfect combination of offering people the chance to do something that they can feel good about as well as an opportunity to win something themselves. So that's that's kind of an ideal combination there. Yeah, it's absolutely right. We Look, giving back to the community shouldn't be difficult. Um, and... In line, I, really, I think really with being an everyday card, um, we've focused on bringing donations to the market here. Um, it's instant, it's it's effortless, and importantly, we guarantee that 100% of the donation will end up in the hands of the charity that you choose. And this is really important because when you donate through other channels, there's often fees and charges associated with that. So that's one thing. Um, and the other aspect of it, of course, is you can trust it because we take the Revolut approach to um, finding, searching for and, and bringing on board the most trusted charities and the charities our customers most want to see. So by using the Revolut platform for donations, again, cost free, uh, fee free, uh, guaranteed all of the funds will end up in the hands of the, the, the charities. And you can set it up in such a way, um, you mentioned spare spare money. I don't think it's spare money. I think spare change might be a better way to put it. Uh, spare change and roundup change, if you like, from your transactions. Or you can set up standing orders, uh, uh, regular donations, for example. Or you can do one-off donations as well. So we have a range of ways where you can make payments. And this applies to the donations feature we've got here as well. Um, look, we want to support our users in daily transactions. And a lot of our customers have told us they like to give donations. They want to feel um, safe and secure, not only in who they're donating to, but but that those donations reach 
uh, reach the charities of their choice. And that's exactly what we've done here with donations. And I think that's I think that that element of knowing that all of the money is going to go to the charity is incredibly important because I feel like people are potentially a little bit cynical about giving to charity because they're worried about where their money is actually going. So that must be hugely comforting for your customers. And that's the feedback that we've received from our customers so far. And as we curate and bring on more and more charities over time, uh, I hope that we're able to, you know, do our part, if you like, to bring value back, not only to our customers, but to the to the wider community that needs it. Well, my only other question really is about the plans that Revolut has in place for the year ahead. Now that you've got all of these, all of these working parts are in place and doing what they're supposed to be doing, what comes next? That's a great question, Nell. So <laughs> I could talk with you. I could talk your ear off on this topic. Uh, look, our products uh, rollout and then innovation is the first order of business for Revolut here in Singapore and and around Asia. Uh, we are steamrolling ahead with bringing all of our products uh, out to this part of the world, and we are starting to innovate here. So products that we can design, develop uh, in Singapore and in Asia, and then scale back through the Revolut network globally. We have 12 million customers on board. Uh, we have 35 countries on board today. So what value we can develop here in Asia, we can scale back through the Revolut net network and make it available globally. And then the second pillar of our expansion uh, has to be geographic expansion. Uh, so we, are, we, we see Singapore, for example, as very much a hub for Southeast Asia here and potentially the wider Asia as well. Uh, we are, as I said before, offering or, or have a, a global common platform and operating model, which is not only uh, identical in each country, but it's the same instance in each country. Uh, so a very, very scalable platform. And as a result of that, we're able to quickly launch in new markets and reach a level of uh, uh, gross margins and net margins in country that we think uh, is unbeatable by by competitors who are starting up in some of these markets. Having said that, the, having said that, there are some limitations on our business in as much as, as a non-local bank in many markets in Asia, we're not able to control banking licenses. Uh, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. So one of the ways that we're looking to expand is through partnerships. And the kind of partners, I think, that complement Revolut's capabilities. So partners who bring access to licenses, partners who bring distribution, uh, and even partners who bring capital, uh, particularly in those markets where, uh, as a result of the local regulations, we're, we're not able to fully control a retail banking license. Many of our competitors, neobanks, have, have or are building stacks, banking stacks, from uh, various components that are not in-house. Uh, Revolut, for the most part, is an in-house built product uh, and platform. And one of the things we've done or the approach we've taken is to plug many of the economic leaks in that stack. So, for example, when we launched in the US, we did not launch with a card processor. We launched internally on that. Uh, we prefer to have direct access to local payment systems rather than through third parties. So, again, we don't leak any of the economic value there. Uh, as people are building stacks in some of our competitors, they're realizing these leaks exist. And now with, with quite a few years under our belt, uh, Revolut, we've been able to plug much of that. And as a result, we have a 
we have a stronger margin to bring to the table when it comes to partnering with people who have access to licenses and are able to help us uh, grow in some of the markets around Asia. We'll continue to plug these gaps. We'll continue to bring more of our services in-house and become uh, a much wider platform, which then, of course, leads us to even faster time to market and even stronger margins as we go through our growth over the coming 5, 10, 15 years. Thank you for listening to the Digital Insight Podcast in association with the interface.net and cposTrategy.com. The Digital Insight is brought to you by B2E Media Limited. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review. And don't forget to check out our podcast archive at www.b2e-media.com forward slash the digital insight.